Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to San Sicaro is a tale woven by many authors brought to us by Thunderbird Studios. James Fidelli is one of the co-founders. He, along with contributing authors Ichabod, Ebenezer, and Ali Habashi, join us today. Folks, welcome to the program. Thank you. Hello. Hi, thanks. Well, first, let's begin, James, with this story. How did the idea to do this as an anthology with several authors come about, and what are the roots of the story? The idea originally began as on a board for Warhammer 40K fan fiction. We were doing these anthologies publishing on Amazon for, uh, we did three of them over the course of about two years. And we were actually starting to get pretty decent at it, but there were still things we were trying to pick up. Well, I had an idea before we stopped doing them to try to put together a town based on this anime called Demon City Shinjuku where basically an entire portion of of Tokyo was taken over by a demonic presence. It was just a really cool, well-done anime. And I wanted to do a series about that. But then some other ideas came in, like, should we completely do just horror, or can we do, like, urban fantasy ideas? And I thought, why not? It can all be a little strange. And seemed to have picked up from there. Everyone else got kind of excited about it, and we were surprised. It actually became, got a nice little following going on. Now, how many uh, authors uh, did you draft for this? Uh, how many expressed interest, that sort of thing? The first release was nine authors. I wanted to get it down to eight, but there was one story we just, like, we couldn't really get rid of. We thought it was too good. The second one, we definitely got it down to eight. And for future releases, eight is about the range we want to go for. Maybe nine if we find one story we really like and don't want to get rid of. So the total right now is 17. Right. And these were some really different tales from, you know, the, the different pens all sort of wove their own style in it. Uh, my question next is for Ichabod. Uh, um, how did you become involved? How did you get in? Uh, I just saw the initial call come through. Um, I believe it was uh, in Twitter. And, uh, I was at that point looking to start creating some short stories uh, for various magazines or uh, online publishing, and I saw this, and I thought, now that's definitely for me. I almost immediately had the idea. Manny Cargill and his partner. That's cool. And Allie, how about you? For me, I saw the call come through for the San Sicaro experience. And by then, of course, Welcome to San Sicaro had already come out quite a while ago. And I read the premise, 
I was immediately interested. And then I went on to Amazon and read part of the first story, which is actually Ichabod's story. And I immediately knew I wanted to be in the sequel. So I purchased the first book, read it through. And by the time I'd reached the end, I knew I wanted to add an aquarium to the world. That is cool. Um, now, for James, this question, where is San Sakara? Was there any particular place that was key to how it was built, or is it, again, off the anime? <laughs> no, it was located, the best place to think of it is between Los Angeles and San Francisco, but still on the coast there. A little more okay. close to San Francisco, if I recall. There was actually a park in the range I was thinking. But we give people some freedom to invent areas as they need, let it grow on their own, on their own accord. Mm-hmm. Now, we were just, um, our parent company, Sunbury Press Books, just recently put out a, a, an anthology of short sort of like think pieces about the pandemic. And we were in that situation of here's all of these different authors writing different subjects, but all connected to COVID-19. And uh, I was not involved with putting them together in terms of running order, but I must ask, um, where did the order come from? Did you give any marching orders to folks about what you wanted, and how did you slot them all together? Oh, that was quite that was quite the challenge, actually. Mm-hmm. What happened was early on receiving a number of stories. Uh, some were horror, they were actually really good, but we felt were too short. Others were these very business savvy approaches where people wanted to do another uh, Dresden Files sort of magician detective approach. And that was mm-hmm. like, we're open to that idea, but at the same time, people really wanted to do the series and they didn't want to be limited to just send Sicaro. So we were kind of at odds and had to let a number of people go there. The mm-hmm. second anthology was so much more smooth because people had the examples of what we were looking for to see sort of strange, almost X-Files type situations. And that's why many of the stories we got were just, in my opinion, much more what we were looking for. Mm-hmm. Talking about the X-Files, it's interesting cause, because the, the lead-off story really just shot me back to that. Um, I can't remember the name of the episode, but there was one that just seemed to run a little bit parallel to it. I don't think that was by design. It was just it was it, it, the whole the, all the pieces were well written and they just seemed to lock together nicely. But that first one, yes, that's my immediate thought was X-Files. Oh, the Shadow Eater, I think you're talking about. Yes. Uh, we actually really lucked out with that one where Kelly Springer and another author, Anastasia Kirchhoff, they submitted stories of a similar theme. And at first, my first instinct was like, no, we should only have one of these. But then I thought about it and realized, but what if they connect? What if there's a hint that the two of them work really well together? And I think that helped people really get more immersed in the world. Mm-hmm. Now, Ichabod, how about um, you said that you sort of had you had something and it's like, how did you take to the story and was it easy to work within the parameters? Uh, yeah, so the, the parameters were really quite kind of broad. Um, there was a note in there that basically said that uh, that you wanted to, to touch aspects of the city and invent some of your own. And it, it gave me a lot of free reign there and just basically said, but don't destroy too much because we don't want, you know, world-ending consequences. Um, so, you know, I, I put together the story. I edited it a couple of times and sent it out there. 
And uh, once I knew that, that it was in there, he started asking me, you know, somebody else mentioned this spot. Do you think you can weave that into the story? And do you mind if somebody else takes this piece from yours? And it was all good, and I was I was very happy to to play in that sandbox. Uh, how many uh, how many edits back and forth did you have? Um, I believe there were three. Um, there was one that uh, you know there's the, there's a part inside my story where somebody's telling a story of what happened um, at some point in the past, but he wanted to nail down the time frame of that a little bit, uh, and that was the the third. Uh, change we had. Mm-hmm. And Ali, moving. how about you? How how easily did it come for you? Um, I think by the time uh, I had my aquarium in mind, it was almost all the way formed, but I did do quite a lot of thinking on how I wanted to do the world building in my little corner of San Ficaro. Mm-hmm. That being said, I think we did have more editors for the second one because there were a lot of rounds going back and forth and Maybe around the sixth round, maybe even seventh, I got one back that started to say, okay, we're going to twist these stories together now. So if you could add a line about this one, a few other stories are going to add a line about yours, which I think is great because, you know, now when I'm reading through the book, it's not like I'm mentioning my corner and then it's gone forever. It's, uh, Mm -hmm. It's brought up several times. So it's sort of this fun game of I spy and other people's stories. And then of course I'm reading the story that I mentioned just to see what the background is because I just got this little mysterious line and I, I haven't read the story yet. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Now tell us uh, James about some of the other authors involved uh, that, uh, you know, how many did you know? How many new friends did you make that sort of thing? Believe it or not, it really wasn't about my Rolodex at all. We, the first guy I knew who got involved was Jonathan Ward. As a rule, we try to like not be not allow too much nepotism. We really just want new authors to come in whenever possible. But mm-hmm. Ward came in; he knew us, so he had a really excellent idea of what we were looking for, and he published Mr. McGarry's Basement. After he got in, Andrew, who was the editor for the first one, was all like, "I really want to write a story for this." So. I gave him permission to step out as an editor, and I actually turned to Jen Kavanaugh, who was a writer for the first one, and asked her to be an editor, and she was interested. So she actually took over that role when we recorded within us, when, within our uh, first anthology. Anyway, Andrew just knocked out of the ballpark with what we were looking for. Honestly, you're talking to, like, two of my favorite story authors right now with Ali and what Ichabod did. That is cool. And this has uh, sort of evolved, too, from an earlier edition and that sort of thing. Now, are you planning to add to the series? Is there going to be – are we going to go back to San Sicaro anytime in the future and see what else is going on? Oh, absolutely. At the moment, we're taking a very brief break to do an in-house anthology set in San Cicero. Sorry, I apologize. Sometimes we say San Cicero, San Sicaro. Um, we're doing something in-house just to shake it up a bit because we're writer, we were writers first and we sometimes need that break. But that project's actually coming along and will be done not too long from now. It's kind of experimental involving animals. Afterwards, we're going to do an open call for a third anthology, in which case we have a slight theme in mind, but uh, there will be one more major volume at the very least. 
That is cool. Now that leads me into asking about Thunderbird Studios. Tell us a little bit about your history. I took a look at your website and I noticed uh, the graphic novels, which looked really interesting, and then of course this anthology. Tell us about how you get started and uh, who was involved. It really does go back to the those Warhammer 40k fan fiction boards where I met artist Manuel Misones and Andrew Aston. Jonathan Ward, I met there too, and a few other people. Uh, the problem with the other people I met was they actually were hired by the Black Library. It kind of became this running joke amongst ourselves where we work with a very talented writer, he's showing real promise, and then Black Library poaches them. And it's kind of hard to compete with their pay rate, let me tell you. Now tell us about anyway, Black Library for those who don't know. Well, Black Library, if you've ever heard of Warhammer and Warhammer 40,000, they're the guys yes. who publish that stuff. Okay. Uh, if you, yeah, so I'm sure everyone's heard of that at least. Okay. Now tell us about, because uh, we see this thing on the Three Amigos. I believe you are one of them. So <laughs> tell us about a little, tell us a little deeper about who these folks are what they're, and, and what they're about. Sure. Like I said, they were all from the same board, the uh, Bolt Hole. Andrew was, is based in the UK. He's a writer, the youngest of us. He's actually published his own fantasy series called The Hobgoblin's Herald, set in a fictional world he calls Gleam. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's actually proven to be very successful. He published that with Fox Spirit Books, again based in the United Kingdom. Uh, Manuel is from Peru originally. And he is the oldest of us. He joined us for a lot of the art we did, and he did the original anthologies that we published as what we call German projects. He's really, really talented as an artist, and he's been helping me with the website. Like, I provide the coding. My day job is mostly in development, so on web design, and he is a graphic designer. So the two of us get together and work on these things and create copy. So besides just writing, we also like to occasionally do reviews and dabble and that's mostly just a means of which to keep her skills up as well as to draw people's attention and eyes our way. Mm-hmm. Well, the eyes certainly come to some of the uh, some of the artwork and some of the, the, the storylines. Um, a couple of these really um, stuck out for me, like the Outliers. Tell me a little about that series and, and that story. So Outliers was, oh man, Outliers was an idea. We There was a small press known as Envy Press, and their big thing was monsters and monster hunting stories. Mm-hmm. So they put forward a suggestion where they wanted to get like a group of about four or five novellas and package them in bundles. So we had sent a short story over to his um, monster hunting series for superheroes. And as an agreement, three of us, Jonathan Ward, myself, and Andrew, we actually connected our stories, and we actually really liked the direction all that was heading. They were not like small connections. That's actually one of the big things Thunderbird is all about. We love doing big co-op pieces like this. We want authors to come together to write big franchises. And it helps sell when you have a situation where people are being pulled into a bigger world. Mm-hmm. So that's how that started. And afterwards, we MB Press kind of went out of business. They we're all gung-ho for it before they realized that Kindle Unlimited made it very difficult for them to make any money off what they were doing. So we actually started Thunderbird Studios to publish the first uh, Outliers. We learned the hard way, however, that the presidential election is usually not a very good time to launch a book. Mm. Well, 
the interesting thing that um, I look at is in terms of being, you know, in the in as on the on the other side of the publishing business is um, trying to find the the markets that really are not so much profitable, but also really do capture um, at least some of the attention and that sort of thing. Um, what is and then this is a question for all three of you. Is the book market just best for your style or for what you do, the graphic novel style? And how difficult is it to uh, have you all figured it is uh, to get into into those markets and get that notice? Uh, well, for my part, I just try to play to my strengths. Uh, all I've got is myself and my computer, and so I sit and I write. Um, if somebody wanted to t contact me at some point and thought that one of the stories I created was better suited for a, a graphic or you know uh, other media format, then uh, I would certainly be up for it. How about you, Allie? Yeah, I mean, I essentially just haunt the anthology boards, especially for horror. Um, I do find that once I found a niche, horror being mine, that it was much easier to get my work picked up and noticed um, by places like Thunderbird. And it's, it's become very validating. And I know I also got in actually through podcasts a little. I had several short stories be picked up by a podcast called The Other Stories. And that sort of mm -hmm. launched me into this world because it was, it was just a way to get in. And they also they do very good stuff and they read all of these horror authors, little short stories. And that was just all I needed. I just needed that first push, that first yes. And I think once you have that confidence, you can start to try and sell your stuff for a little bit more. Mm -hmm. And uh, James, what's uh Let's sort of package this uh, question into uh, the next part of the program here. Um, what worked for you? But also tell us about your history. Uh, tell us about uh, what got you started on this track in the first place. My case is actually very bizarre and a huge risk that did pay off. Mm -hmm. What had happened was some years ago, there was a little Kickstarter going out for a new game known as the Banner Saga. It was being developed by three developers formerly from Bioware, but they envisioned this, if you've ever seen Sleeping Beauty, Earl Ivan-style artwork meets a mm -hmm. Viking tale, and with decisions that matter and really, really reflect, change the story as you go. So I saw this, and I reached out to them and said, would you guys mind if I write some stories for you? Now, at this point, I had actually written several short stories. So when they came back with like, yeah, we'd love some stuff. So I thought about it for a long time, and I turned around and started to suggest, what if I write a novel instead? And they were hesitant, like, go ahead. The guy I was speaking to at the time was Alex Thomas. So I got started on this novel for them called The Gift of Hatterberg. And the first game comes out. So I turn around, and I, now that I've played that game, I have an excellent idea of, like, the world and what we're looking for. So I write the novel and go crazy and go crazy. It comes to about, I think, at least 80,000 words. So then I reach out to Alex and say, hey, Alex, uh, novel's nearly finished. So I go ahead and I finish it. And then I turn around and say, hey, Alex, I haven't heard from you. Uh, the, the novel's done. I heard nothing. 
I'm seriously sweating bullets thinking I just wasted my time. Then all of a sudden, out of the blue, Arnie Jurgensen and John Watson, who were the other two guys from Stoic, were like, hey, yeah, Alex Thomas no longer works here, but you worked on a novel for us? <laughs> so I really, really, really lucked out. <laughs> the Isn't novel it, actually proved to be... Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. No, you go uh, ahead. The novel... Oh, the novel actually proved to be like really successful because it just worked with the game. The game itself was excellent start for a small studio like that. They've grown like five times, five folds and they've, um, God, they don't even know what their sales are about, but they must be doing pretty good for themselves. That's cool. And how about, um, I mean, there's the thing, it's like that, that silence. And that's the same thing that happened with me when, uh, when I got signed to the parent company here, Sunbury press books, there was just this <laughs> months of radio silence and you're thinking, okay, well, it's just like everything else. It's kind of like, all right, well, I can't sit around and wait. I'm going to write more, and I'm going to do some other things. And then all of a sudden, you know, several months after I'd had initial talks and sent them something, all of a sudden they're like, oh, yeah, we would like to sign you. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> so it, it, it's disconcerting, that, that, isn't it? It's just the, the dead silence. Well, in my case, they really could have – lost out. Alex Thomas didn't work there. I lucked out that even checking his email in the first place. Mm-hmm. But it went, it did very well and actually formed a working relationship with them. We went on to actually host an open call for various stories set in the Banner Saga world and that was published in Tales from the Caravan. Absolutely beautiful book. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was actually where we started to really change how we handled our publishing approaches using InDesign to do the in-graphic the um, the layout of the books and I think that's really improved our game. And we're just reaching this point where people say, "Oh, you're self-publishing," and I very much correct, like, "No, we are a publishing company." Right. And that's a question for each of us um, because I began, like most people, I think, did. I began as a self-publisher, which is how I got noticed, and I self-published one book several years ago, and it went from there. The landscape has changed. Self-published isn't looked down upon quite as much anymore, and I have a number of friends who do. And we're also finally – it seems like we're finally starting to see some respect for that, and we're starting to see some respect for the indie presses, the small presses that are actual companies. Uh, I'd like to know what you think on that, any of you. Well, I'm, of course, in favor of the the, uh, proliferation of uh, self-publishing. I put out my first – novel that way um but i especially love the fact that it's it's gaining more respect with uh you know agents and and other publishers um mm-hmm. because it now means that simply because i've uh, published my own story it doesn't mean that i'm stuck doing that for the rest of my life and uh at some point one of the big five and uh and i might collaborate on something right and ali how about you yeah, well, I'll come at it from the other angle. I really adore indie presses um, just because that's how I got my start. And I really, I'm really appreciative of not only when they post, but when they post sort of to market price and mm-hmm. that they try to sort of respect, uh, respect their authors as much as they can for even if they don't make a lot of money off the book. And even, honestly, even the ones that – can only pay $25 or $5, I'm appreciative of, because 
It's something to go on a writer's resume. It's something to validate your work. It just gets your stories sort of off the computer and in print form or on a podcast. And I, I'm, I'm so grateful for all of the places that have published me and any places that choose to publish me in the future. Right. Indeed. James, uh, back to you. Let's get your, your history. Um, growing up, uh, tell us a little bit about that. What were you reading? What were you getting involved in that, that uh, moved you in the direction that you've gone? A lot of it came down to, through my teenage years, reading, oh, man, Let's see. Uh, there was, looking back at my bookshelf right now, a bit of Warhammer. Battletech was actually the big thing, mostly franchise-type stuff. But as I got older, moved past college, I started to look into some of the more lasting fantasy stuff, like, say, Matthew Woodring Stoving's Heroes Die, John Stakely's Armor, that's more sci-fi. Obviously, Lies of Locke Lamora was a good one. So... And of course, uh, Lord of the Rings. But uh, Here we go. after reading War, yeah, <laughs> of course. But after reading a lot of Warhammer, the big thing there was they were constantly doing these open calls so fans could submit work, and that's actually what got me interested. But after they, their acceptance rate is very, very, very low. So after being rejected, like I guess over the course of three years, it's like let's see what else is out there. And after that, and got involved with small presses, and that works. I began getting published and thought, well, maybe we should keep going in this direction because these guys seem interested in my work. And that's the thing, too, is like sometimes the independents really do work. And um, without, you know, blowing too much of a horn for Sunbury Press and Brown Posey, which is the fiction imprint, I've gotten the feeling that some of the things that I write, some of my stories, a big five publisher might not be too intrigued by some of the things I write. I don't I don't think I write into a too particularly tight niche for any of the things I do, but I have a feeling that there's just some things about my style of writing that they wouldn't like or they would look at it and be like it's that question of and this is the always the thing is I my fear would be personally is to have uh, a publisher say to me, "We love your book, but we want you to change you know, and it becomes something that's, you know, I'd be, I'm open to things, but I'm not open to changing something that really maybe is the driver of the story. Have you ever run into that? Have you ever run into that situation where they give you the heavy butt, I guess? <laughs> you know, um, a really good example very recently to prove the power of self-publishing might be, I believe his name was Evan Winter, mm-hmm. where he was a lurker on Reddick for years, and he put forward his book – and then Blue Knot, an editor of a Golance, reached out and said, hey, I'm a lurker over there, too, and I was really impressed with your story. Can we talk about taking it off self-publishing and working through us? And that's actually how he managed to get his name out there and just become the explosive success that he never thought he'd be. So, yes, you're right. Self-publishing is changing. It can become something far more, far more than how it's been treated last, I don't know, 10 years. Mhm. Mhm. That could be true. Um, I'd like to switch to Ichabod now, if I may. Let's talk about your history a little bit. Same kind of thing. Uh, what were you reading growing up, and what turned you your way? <laughs> uh, yeah. So I cut I like my teeth chocolate. on. 
<laughs> I cut my teeth on Madeline Langle and uh, and Lewis, and so uh, from there I went to Heinlein and Bradbury, and uh, I remember in high school uh, I picked up Dragonlance. Uh, a couple of my friends were reading it, and I wasn't really into novelizations of games very much, but this mm -hmm. took it to a whole new level. It was like the game was based off of the books rather than the other way around. And I just became absolutely obsessed with that world that they'd created, uh, Margaret Wise and Tracy Hickman. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, I was writing you know, uh, modules and things like that. I didn't think of it as writing so much as just, you know, I'm plotting stuff out here and then the characters can live in this world. And... Uh, it was only after a couple of these adventures where somebody said, that was just so good, you should write it all down. And uh, I suddenly realized it kind of was writing. So at some point I decided I would do exactly that. Mm -hmm. Now tell us about your work, Between Bloom and Decay. I, I uh -huh. love the title from the beginning, and then I looked into it, and I'm like, oh, this is something. So where does this come from? Well, this is actually the uh, the magnet that I have on my website that people can't get this unless they actually sign up for my list. And so I wanted yep. to put out something that was top-notch there and, and really showed what I was interested in doing. So, you know, there's there's some horror aspects to it, clearly, but then there's adventure, and a lot of it is just very character-based. Um and this was just, there was a flash that I'd had years ago of somebody who was walking through a graveyard that was just completely populated with ghosts. And one of them was trying to uh, scare her, but she had no fear of it because of the fact she knew it couldn't actually touch her. And, uh, and then I thought, well, what if it could still hurt her even though it couldn't touch her? Mm -hmm. And that's where the story sprang from. Mm -hmm. Very cool. Now, Ali, let us uh, ask you about your history. And you have, uh, you have some very interesting uh, background here. I'd love to hear it. Yeah, so I've been reading forever. Um, I think I started off with a lot, of the, a lot of the series that most of the kids my age were reading. So things like Redwall and Harry Potter, series of unfortunate mm -hmm. events. And I just didn't stop reading. I became like one of those English kids. Um, and early on, I was writing sort of long-form fantasy. And I sort of, I think my writing always had kind of a dark spin to it. Uh, but I never considered it horror. And then after university, I started writing shorter stories that I could sort of focus in on one terrible moment and I started getting picked up by horror podcasts. I was featured on the No Sleep podcast at one point and uh, several different anthologies. At one point, I won a contest for like the creature feature category just by creating a monster. Um, and I started doing a lot of research. I like to sort of get my stories some backup. So for mm -hmm. the San Sicaro story, I did a lot of research on uh, aquariums across California and the animals there 
And of course, I grew up in California, so I was basing this a lot on Monterey Bay Aquarium. And yeah, I mean, it's it's been fun. I think with some of my earlier stories, it's I like to pull in real people too. So if I have somebody in my life who I think can contribute to a story, I'll try to interview them. Um, so I have one old roommate who studied astronomy in Harvard University. So I sat her down and said, hey, help me create this alien monster creature <laughs> because I want to talk about it in a way that doesn't make scientists cringe. And <laughs> I like to <laughs> kind of do that just to, to add this sort of base. That's that's cool, like the research part of it. Um, uh, getting back to a couple of these things that you pointed out, um, and I wanted to ask, the No Sleep podcast, I listened to that episode, and I was okay. listening, because I work in broadcasting, so it's like I, I'm listening for the levels, I'm listening for the audio, I'm listening for the content, as well as the mm-hmm. uh, the program. Um Tell us about this contribution I, I, that, that you gave. I was really interested in that. <laughs> yes, that one is called uh, Don't Choose the Goat. And it is speculative fiction about third graders' graduation. And it takes place in this sort of alternate world where the third gra- graders will ride a carousel, choose an animal, and that animal will dictate sort of the rest of their lives, who they're going to be, where they're going to go, where they're going to work. And that one came to be because I was walking through the Boston Common one day. I was in Boston now, and there is a carousel right in the middle. And I looked at the carousel, and I saw a goat as one of the animals you can choose to ride. And all I thought was, what kind of kid would choose to ride the goat? And then it all came from there. So... (laughs) Well, I, I lived in Boston for ten years. I know where you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> yep. That's the that's the inspiration, and I knew I wanted to base it on that school is actually named after my elementary school. I forgot to change the name before it got published. So, <laughs> oops. Now that's immortalized. But yeah, it was a really fun, a really fun one to write. Something tells me they're not going to mind. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Any publicity is good publicity. Sure. That's cool. Well, uh, as we are moving along here, um, what I guess I'm going to have an open question for you all. What is next? Now, you've talked to James a little bit about um, San Sicaro coming back with another series and that kind of thing. Um, what is next in terms of this new project, and what where do you uh, see yourself and Thunderbird going in the next few years? Well... We, believe it or not, actually have a meeting immediately following this to discuss a novel series that we're developing. With Thunderbird, we do intend to continue this ancestral line, and I've been talking with these authors, as a matter of fact, about other ideas we can do. So that's the direction we intend to take. However, they're still freelance. They have their own projects, so yeah. Okay. And how about you, Ichabod? What, what is come, what's on the horizon for you? Well, it's always a competition about uh, which idea comes next. Um, I did just finish up a novel, and I'm still editing that. Uh, this one's a, a modern fantasy. And at the same time, I'm plunging into the next novel, uh, which is more of a George R. R. Martin sort of, you know, black company sort of idea. Mm-hmm. Um 
and uh, meanwhile I'm just writing down whatever short stories. So I, I don't like to have writer's block. If there's ever any reason I can't write the story I'm in, I'll just switch to another one. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, I would just like to get all the ideas out there. Yeah, in terms of writer's block, people have asked me if I ever have it, and I said I don't really believe in it. I think for me, writer's block is just a thing. It's kind of like there's a period where, yeah, my mind just doesn't let me create or I just can't get it out into words. And I just say to myself, well, that means it's not meant to come. Um, I spend more time really just thinking up my ideas in my head before I actually write anything down. So I figure if if it sticks in my head for more than, you know, if it's if it continues to come back in my head for more than a few days or a few weeks, I'm thinking, okay, this is something I need to work on. I don't know if any of you have ever had that happen. Oh, sure. Uh, once you get many of your uh, better ideas out there, but you haven't finished the novel, you know, th that's what I think of as, as being my wife. You know, I've got the novel I'm working on as my wife, and all the other ideas that are coming through are these, the, the mistresses. And, you know, you've got to say no to them and finish up with what you're doing. But uh, you've also got to pay some attention to them. So m what I tend to do is just write down everything I can about, you know, what I know about this other story. And then it just goes into a file where I can, you know, once I'm finished with the, the novel I'm on, I can start paying attention to those other things. Yeah, I do the same thing. I just have I have files of all of my concepts and my character sketches, and I do the exact same thing. Um, Allie, how about you? What's coming up next for you? Yeah, so I'm going to be in an anthology called Footsteps in the Dark by Flame Tree Publishing. That one's going to be coming out in September, and I've written a short story for them called The Black Damp about uh, abandoned mine exploration. And... Other than that, I'm also working on, I'm kind of doing the same thing. I'm trying to not write short stories and work on a longer thing. Um, uh, it's not. It's going to be less horror this time, I think, but it's still about witches and true crime. So, you know, it might dip back <laughs> towards my usual. That being said, um, yeah, I've got a couple, I'm probably going to produce a couple more short stories and hopefully find them homes as well during the course right, of that. Good. Okay. And James, what is the best place that we can find Welcome to San Sicaro? So at the moment, it's going to be Amazon. And if you prefer ebooks, it can be found on Smashwords as well. However, we are about to expand our distribution and we're looking at Barnes and Noble, perhaps Kobo. These changes are going to occur within the next three months, I believe. So if you have preferences, if you don't like Amazon, you will have options. Okay. I'll tell you what, this has been very illuminating to me because uh, so many names of, you know, so many authors and different stories have come from each of you. And some of these I know and some of these I admit I, I do not, but it's uh, something that's going to be well worth uh, our listeners looking into. Uh, open question for you and we'll uh, wrap it up. Um, for those who are listening and think they've got this story in, in mind or they've got an idea or they've already written something and they've heard your stories, but maybe they want to know, what do I need to do to take the next step? What advice do each of you give? I'll start with you, James. Well, if you mean towards San Cicero, my advice would be, one, take a look at what's already been done. 
too, consider if you want to reuse elements, that's fine, but really consider how you're going to put a new spin on that. And three, it's not just places. Think about culture that you could approach. Think about ideas, like what if a hobby club has some incidents? What if, uh, what if this uh, bar had a situation occur in it? Like you can investigate whatever you want. The city is basically limitless in terms of what you can do. Okay. How about you, Ichabod? Uh, advice for people who want to get into writing? or mm-hmm. Sure. Well, I think that the main gateway that, that keeps people from getting in there is just their own self-confidence. I mean, they've got ideas, and maybe they even write it down, but then they never share it. But there are plenty of places to, to put that where somebody can just give you a little thumbs up after reading it, and you'd be really surprised how supportive people tend to be. I say go okay. for it. Okay, and how about you, Allie? I'd say find someone that you trust to serve as a sort of first pass, a first editor before it goes out. Because if you have someone who makes you feel good about your writing, who gets you pumped up, but can also point out, hey, maybe you should rework the ending this way, or I didn't understand this part, um, it can really elevate your story before it goes out. And it, it even gives you a little bit more confidence, I think, if you've got somebody in your corner already who's really supportive. It just helps with Ichabod's point to build up that confidence. All right. Well, my thanks to each of you. This has been fantastic. I wish you all the best of luck. Thank Thank you very much. Our guests have been James Fideli, a co-founder of Thunderbird Studios, along with Ichabod Ebenezer and Ali Habashi, contributing authors to Welcome to San Sicaro. I'm your host, Tori Gates, author of Searching for Roy Buchanan, which you can find on Brown Posey Press, of course. And the sequel, Call It Love, is set for release later this year. Thank you once again for being with us. This is the Book Speak Network. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. 
This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.